All right, good morning, everyone. I guess nobody had any trouble getting up this morning, did they? All right, you got that hour. That's a good thing. If it had been the opposite, it would have been tough, but I figured everybody would make it here on time. That's good. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will be uh, in verses 12 through 31. We're going to finish up chapter 12 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 31. The, the title of our lesson this morning is The Body. The Body. Now, we spent the last few weeks in chapter 12. Of course, chapter 12 is where Paul gives one of the list of the spiritual gifts. And so we went through the spiritual gifts. We've been going through them for the last few weeks. And we spent the last few weeks, uh, probably the last three or four weeks, specifically talking about the sign gifts um, because Paul talks about them. That, of course, is healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And so we spent a lot of time talk we talked about healing and miracles. We just came off of two weeks talking about prophecy. And today it would probably we should probably step right into uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, tongues is really important. And in fact, if you go back and read Paul's letter, tongues seems to be the gift that caused the most problems in the church. It was the most problematic, the most divisive gifts was tongues, which, by the way, it still turns out to be the same thing today, right? Um, so, uh, and, and they really deserve their own discussion, and, and we'll get there, but we're not going to cover them uh, today. I'm actually going to wait till chapter 14, because in chapter 14, Paul is going to spend a lot of time talking about tongues and prophecy, uh, how to use them correctly, how not to, how to, how to not misuse them. And so it seemed better to me that we wait till chapter 14 uh, to cover that in more detail. And so today, we're going to, uh, to move on. So let's start in verses 12 through 14, 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll start with verses 12 through 14. Again, this is Paul writing, and he says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. I was thinking this week about the differences between living, if we had lived back in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever tried to maybe put yourself, what if I had lived, what if I had lived in Israel, uh, had been a, a, a um, you know, what the Bible calls the, the, the children of Israel, one of, one, of the, one of the Jews, one of the Isra- Israelites that lived before Jesus came, back in the Old Testament. And I got to thinking, would I have enjoyed living during that time? And I don't think I would have uh, very much. First of all, I don't think I would have enjoyed uh, having to every week and every year bring sacrifices to the temple over and over. You know, we've talked about that before. We, we read in the Bible about the sacrifices, but we don't realize what a bloody spectacle that was. In fact, they tell us that, that um, when they all had to come to the temple once a year, on the Day of Atonement and sacrifice, all the families did and everything, they said the blood would run thick, so thick down out of these troughs, down into the brook Kidron, that the brook would literally 
just flow red with blood. And can you imagine the flies and the stench? And uh, I mean, it's just a, a messy, messy thing. And I don't, I don't think I would have liked having to participate in that over and over again, knowing that those sacrifices are not ever really taking away the guilt of my sin. I don't think I would have enjoyed, if you go back and read uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all those, I don't think I would have enjoyed having to try to follow all those laws, would you? Um, it's hard enough as it is, but trying to figure out all those laws, I definitely would not, I would have missed eating bacon for breakfast and fried shrimp for supper, right? Because you understand in the Old Testament, you couldn't have bacon, you couldn't have pork, and you couldn't have shrimp. So those were, those would have been out of the loop. So I I would have definitely uh, missed that as well. But most of all, I don't think I would have liked the fact that during that time, only certain people, only certain selected people were recipients of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that back then. You know, back then, uh, uh, prophets would receive the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would prophesy. Certain kings uh, would get the Holy Spirit. Men like Saul. uh, uh, Maybe certain men who were called out to do certain great acts would get the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit would come, but just on selected people. It wasn't on... Uh, everyone. And even then, it wasn't permanent. You could have the Holy Spirit taken away from you. For example, King Saul. You can find in the book of Samuel where it says the Holy Spirit departed from him and an evil spirit from the Lord came and, and bothered him. And so it wasn't, it's, it's not like it is today. And I don't think I would have liked uh, living back there during that time. One of the things that makes living now under the New Testament, under the New Covenant, uh, so wonderful is what I call the democratizing of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is that all of God's people, doesn't matter if you're, if you're Jew or Gentile or black or white or man or woman or young or old, the Bible says everybody who knows Jesus as their Savior are permanently indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible tells us, does it not, I believe in the book of Romans, that says if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. Does it not? You have, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You are in, Every single believer is in, indwelled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what Peter uh, described on the day of Pentecost when he uh, quoted the prophet Joel. He says, In the last days it shall be, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Everybody, everybody that knows Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. And so again, that's what I mean by the democratizing of the Spirit. All flesh, everyone who knows God, everyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ receives the Spirit. doesn't matter, once again, if you're male or female. doesn't matter if it's young or old. doesn't matter your ethnicity or your color. If you know God through faith in Jesus Christ, you receive permanently the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to begin this morning by reminding you of what... So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Everybody got that? You have the Spirit living inside of you. If you don't, you're not a Christian. The Bible's very clear about that. So I want to start by reminding you of what Scripture says is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit... For what? The common good. That means for the good of others, not just your, yourself. Now think about what that means for just a second. 
It means that every one of you who are sitting here this morning, who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you have been uniquely, individually, specially blessed with the presence of the Spirit to minister to other people. Okay? That's what Paul said. You're given the Spirit. One of the functions of that is for the common good. You have somehow uniquely in your life, the Spirit will manifest in your life uniquely in a way that, that nobody else can, can do. You see, every I was thinking this week, isn't it amazing? I still find this one of the most amazing facts in the world, that there's no two people the same. That is incredible to me. I mean, you take the billions and billions and billions of people, and unless it's uh, identical twins that come from the same egg, no two people are the same. I mean, that's incredible. How can that even be? How can there be that many permutations and combinations combinations, but it is. Everybody here this morning, just in your humanity, are you, are you are unique. You are a person that nobody else is. And when the whole, think about this, when the Holy Spirit comes and He mixes with your uniqueness, He comes and indwells your, your personality with who you are, you also end up with a unique manifestation of the Spirit of God. In other words, there's something the Spirit can do in you and with you that He cannot do with anybody else. Does that make sense? I mean, you are that unique in your personality, in your physicality, in your humanity, and the Holy Spirit combines with that. He did, by the way, He designed it that way. God designed it for none of us to be the same. And he, he can come in and combine with that, and what you end up with is a unique manifestation not only of a person, but also a unique manifestation of the Spirit of God. Yet, listen to me very closely. The Holy Spirit does not make Himself known in our lives through gifts and ministries just so we can say, well, look how unique I am. Uh, he, He doesn't do it just for our own edification. He does it for the purpose of helping us do good to one another. That's what, uh, that's what it's all about. This is what we're in the world for. This is the church's calling. We are to make God known in our life. We are to manifest the Spirit. And when we do that, one of the purposes of that is we are to do good to other people, okay? especially those uh, of the faith. Now, in the Old Testament, we said only specially selected individuals were gifted like that. In the New Testament, all Christians are gifted like that. No one is left out. No one is unqualified. No one is disqualified. We are all indwelt by the Spirit. We are all unique. We are all gifted. And we are all empowered by the Spirit. Okay, now that sounds good, does it not? That's, a, that's an encouraging message. It should all make us all sound good. However, the problem is, really as individuals, we don't understand that. We don't grasp that as people. We don't embrace it and we don't express it in the way that we should. It turns out that there are two problems in the body of Christ. What we'll call two sicknesses or two ailments that keep the church from being what the church should be. Okay, And more than likely, everybody in here, including me, suffers in some part or some way from one of these ailments. And these two ailments tend to be polar opposites of one another. The first element is this. There are too many people in the church who have feelings of uselessness or ineffectiveness. In other words, I'm sitting here saying today that the Holy Spirit is, is, is indwelt you. He is empowering you uniquely to benefit others. And there's too many people sitting around thinking, man, I just don't have anything. 
I'm just, I'm not really any good to anybody. You know, if I left this church, nobody would even know the difference. I, I'm just not effective. Look at, look at that person. We spend too much time looking at other people and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, looking at what they can do and downplaying our own gifts and our own uniqueness. That's number one is feelings of uselessness and ineffectiveness. The other is the polar opposite. And that is feelings of self-sufficiency and superiority. And that is, man, look at me. Boy, I'm, I'm, I, am, I'm, I am needed in this body. I don't know what they would do if, if they ever lost me. They would be, they would be in, a, in a sore place. So here's your two ailments that most people in the church suffer from. One is feelings of uselessness and ineffectiveness, and on the other end is feelings of superiority and self-sufficiency. I want to start, let's look, let's look at both of these. First one is uselessness and ineffectiveness. There are people in the local church who see themselves as expendable. Okay, and I would ask you this morning, do you see yourself as expendable? Do you see yourself as I don't really matter? Do you see yourself as not contributing or, or at least contributing very little? Do you see yourself as unqualified? Do you see yourself as unproductive in the body? Well, see, if you see yourself this way, then you're suffering from um, one of these ailments, which again is feelings of uselessness and ineffectiveness. These are people, by the way, who are convinced that if they were to disappear, nobody would notice. That everything would just continue on just the way it always has and nobody would even miss them. They see themselves, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time today with the analogy of the body. These are people who see themselves as the wisdom teeth of the body, right? You, you yank out the wisdom teeth, you just move right on. Nobody misses them, right? Or, or the appendix. Appendix, you can take it out of the body, the body just moves right on. Nobody misses it like it wasn't ever even there. Um, what's the other one I got? Oh, yeah, the tonsils, right? You have your tonsils out. I, I mean, I don't even know what they do, right? Nobody knows. So, again, they see themselves as, as this kind of part of the body. I, I'm not really needed. You know, I'm here, I'm around, people notice me, but the fact is, if I, if I left, they wouldn't even know I was, I was gone. Again, on the other hand, at the other end of the spectrum, are the people who are experiencing the other types of ailment, which are self-sufficiency and superiority. They see themselves as mattering more than other people do. They see themselves as more important. They see themselves as more necessary. They see themselves as more essential than others. Um, there are people in the body who, they, they take pride in their gifts. They know they have a gift. They know they have skills. They know they matter. And they take pride in that almost as if they did it on their own. Almost not, they just for, kind of forget the Holy Spirit gave you that. And they just, they're like, look at me. Look what I've done. Look how mature I am. Look how, look how needed I am. Look how necessary uh, I am. And if the first group thinks of themselves as wisdom teeth and tonsils and the appendix of the body, these people see themselves as totally different. They see themselves, I'm the brain, right? I'm the heart. I'm the, I'm the eyes. I'm, I'm something really important. Everybody with me here? These are really, you know, Paul is saying, look, man, you're all important. Everybody is important. Everybody's a part of the body. Everybody has a part to play. The Holy Spirit has gifted you in a way that he, can't, he could not gift anybody else because of your uniqueness. And then we got two people say, sitting here, two groups. One group saying, man, I'm just not, I don't have anything. I'm not worth anything. And the other group is saying, man, look at me. Look how important I am. And these are, in, in both of these 
are in detriment to the body functioning the way it's supposed to function. Now, I want to, I want to, Paul, by the way, is going to cover both of these this morning. He's going to talk to both of these ailments. So we'll start with this one. The first one is feelings of uselessness and ineffectiveness. Let's see Paul's diagnosis in verses 15 through 16. He says this, If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the, of the body. Now, what's the ailment here that Paul is diagnosing? Again, it's the feeling or the opinion that if I'm not like somebody else, I'm not important. If I'm not like somebody else, I don't belong. I'm not useful like they are. Now, he gives us two examples of this, okay? First is the foot versus the hand. In one case, Paul says you've got person with what we'll call foot gifts. All right, for lack of a better term. He's got, he says, you got people that says, because I'm, I'm not a hand and I'm a foot, I don't belong to the body. So what you've got is people with foot gifts comparing themselves to people with hand gifts and saying, man, I'm not like that. I'm not any good to the body. I might as well not even be a part of the body. You can see this, right? The foot versus the hand. You know, you're in, you're in your pew today and you're standing up singing and, and the hands raise, you know, the hand gets to, raise itself up, and everybody sees the hand, right? And the foot's under the chair, right? It's covered up. It, it's, it's in a shoe. It's wearing smelly socks. Nobody sees it. Nobody lifts, lifts their foot to praise the Lord. And so the foot is saying, look at the hand. He gets all the glory, right? Everybody notices the hands, you know, but I'm stuck here. Are you with me? That's exactly what Paul is saying. People with foot gifts say, to the, man, look at the hand. Man, I, I'm just a foot. Nobody sees me. Why am I covered up in these socks like this all day? This, this, I, I need to be something else. I don't belong. Okay? The other one is the ear versus the eye. He said, in the same way, he says, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It's the same thing here, right? Everybody says, man, you got beautiful eyes. Has anybody ever said you got beautiful ears? Nobody notices your ears unless there's something wrong with them, right? Then they notice them, right? Most time we cover them up unless they're, you know, if there's something wrong with them, people say, man, there's something wrong with his ears. But, but, but people notice your eyes. Nobody notices the ears. They're just kind of there, right? Well, that's what he's saying. The person with the ear gifts compares themselves to somebody that's got eye gifts and says, man, I'm not like that. I, I'm useless. I don't, I don't matter to this body. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's making the comparison with the analogy of the body. Now, what Paul does is he gives us a diagnosis of an ailment that threatens the body, and that is feelings of uselessness. I'm not needed. The body can get along without me. My gifts are not important. Now, if that's his diagnosis, what's the remedy? Okay, my guess is not just a few of you, but probably several of you here this morning suffer from this. When you look at other people in the body, you see other people as eyes and hands, and they're more important than me. What can I do? Okay? And Paul says, okay, folks, this is to you this morning. I'm going to give you three remedies. I'm going to tell you three. I'm going to give you a prescription for, your, for this ailment that's bothering you. And to do that, he's going to give us three truths. Number one, look at verse 15 through 16 again. 
He gives us truth. He says this, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, Paul says, that don't make it true. Did everybody see that? Paul says, just because you say it and just because you feel it, that does not make it true. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, Paul says, I don't make it any less a part of the body. Just because you say it doesn't make you any less a part of the body. It doesn't make it true. So the first thing he gives us is is truth. Just because you feel it and just because you say it doesn't make it true. The truth is, Paul says, if you are part of the body of Christ, you are not useless. You are, you are meant to give a unique manifestation of the, of the Spirit of God in a way that nobody else can give it. Everybody see that? that? He said, just because you think it, just because you say it and feel it, that does not make it true. You are put in this body, designed for this body, designed humanly in your personality and always to combine with the Spirit of God, to give a manifestation of the Spirit of God that nobody else can, can give. Number two. He tells us the necessity of diversity. Look at verses 17 through 19. Paul says, If the whole body were an eye, how would we hear? And if the whole body were an ear, then how would we smell? If all were a single member, where would the body be? Okay? Now, what, bo- what Paul wants us to see here is, is look at the human body for just a second. What makes a human body a human body? Everything, right? If, if I just cut off my arm and I threw it out in the woods and somebody found it, would we say we found a human body? No, they found an arm. If you cut off a leg and you threw it out in the woods and somebody found it, would they say we found a human body? No. What makes a body a body is everything. It's all the parts. That makes the body the body. That's what Paul says right there at the end. If everybody were a single member... What would happen to the body? In other words, there is no, there is no body. And so again, don't miss what Paul is saying here. The very existence of the human body depends on its diversity, its multiple members. What makes a body a body, what makes it complete and functioning, is its very diversity of members. Now here's the thing. When you want to, now listen to me very closely. I'm going to give you a couple of truths here. When you want to be something else... You are, in, es- in essence, you are resisting against the body. Let me say that again. Because the whole definition of a body is a diversity of members. When you say, I don't want to be that, I want to be something else, when that's your feeling, you're actually resisting, you're fighting against the body. That's what Paul's saying. In other words, feelings of uselessness are opposed to the very body that God has put together. You're not, just, you're not just over here feeling sorry for yourself. You're actually hurting the body. You're actually opposed to the body, is, is what Paul is, is saying. He goes on, if they were all one member, where would the body be? Again, that's what he's saying. If the body would not exist without diversity. That's, we have to have diversity to have a healthy, functioning, complete body, both humanly and in, in Christ. So a person who says, man, my function is useless, is definitely saying the church shouldn't be a body. You're just basically saying the church should just all be about me, whatever I am. Again, because that's what it means to be a body, is to have diversity of of members. Number three, the most important. If you're here today and you're, you're feeling useless, you're feeling like, well, I've got a few things I can do, but they're not as important as somebody else, listen to what Paul says. 
This is the third truth, and that is the sovereignty of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says this, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, what? Read those words with me. As he chose. You see, the third part of Paul's remedy for people in the body who feel useless, who feel like they don't matter, like their gifts are minor compared to other people, the third part of his remedy is the most important. You see, listen to me closely. Somebody might say to me, okay, listen, Derek, I understand diversity. I understand we need multiple parts of the body. But doesn't a body have two eyes? Doesn't a body have, have two hands? I understand diversity, but I, I don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand like that other guy is a hand. I want to be an eye like the other guy is an eye. I know we need diversity. I get all that. But the body has two of a lot of things. Why can't I be one of the hands? Why can't I be one of the eyes? And so you might go on and say, see, it wouldn't hurt anything if, if the body would still be the body, if I could just be more like somebody else. And to that, Paul responds to you. He says this, God arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. You see, Paul brings it all back to the sovereignty of God. The third part of Paul's remedy for you is you need to trust that God is sovereign in his design and he knows exactly what he's doing when he puts a body together. Now, here's the other thing. Do we believe that, by the way? You believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that he orchestrated the people in this church, that you're here today and, and you're a member of this church because God has ordained and designed it, that, that you were born the way you were born as part of the plan of God, that, that the Holy Spirit has come into you as part of the ordained plan of God? Do you believe all that? Well, see, if you believe all that, but then you turn around and say you're useless. See, you're not just saying no to the idea of a body. Now you're saying no to God. See, that's, that's the part that Paul really wants us to see. We are effectively saying, when we say, I'm just, I don't matter. You're basically saying God don't know what he's doing. That's effectively what you're saying. God doesn't know what he's doing. That's what Paul says. God knows exactly what he's doing. He's put this body together as he chose to do. Now, trust in that is what Paul is saying. You see, like all issues in life, it comes down in the end to a radically God-focused, God-centered issue. Do you trust God? I can tell you with everything in life you go through or haven't gone through or are going through, I'm telling you, it all comes down in the end. Do you trust God? So I want to say this this morning to those of you who may not have gifts that put you in the limelight. You may not have gifts that put a microphone in your hand. You may not have gifts that put you up on the platform for, for people to see you. You may have gifts like serving. You may have gifts like giving. You may have gifts like encouraging. Things that are all done behind uh, the scenes. Let me tell you, people may not see you, but let me tell you, God does. God sees you. You may not feel helpful. You may not feel acknowledged. You may not feel praised. You may not feel apart. But I can tell you, your value to the body is immeasurable. And God sees everything that you do. I'm convinced, I am absolutely convinced that one day we're going to get to heaven. And the Bible says we're going to get rewards, does he not? God's going to call people out. And we're going to be sitting there and we're going to see these men that we know and women that we know that were famous in this world. 
And God's going to call people that you have never heard of. The Sunday school teacher. The, the, the outreach leader. The, the person who just sat at home and wrote notes and emails and texts and called people and encouraged them. And nobody ever knew. And God's going to say, come here in front of everybody. Well done. You took the gifts that I gave you and you used them for the manifestation of the Spirit and for the good of the body. Well done. And we're going to be like, who, who is she? <laughs> we don't, who is that person? But see, God knows. He's writing it all down. He's keeping a record of it. Right? He knows exactly what's going on. It's not always the people with the microphones. It's not always the, the if, if God's given you that gift, then use it. But if he's given you another gift, then you use that to the very best that you possibly can. And God is watching, and God will reward you for that. Now, I want to ask real, one real quick question here this morning. What I've done here this morning is I've said, if you've got a gift, be content in it. Have I not? Be content in your gift. Be satisfied in your gift. But now I want to ask the question. If God is the one who puts us in the body the way He wills, and He gives gifts according to His good pleasure, is it then dishonoring to Him to ask for something else? That's a good question, isn't it? Should, should, I, should, the, should the hand go around saying, I, need, I want to be an eye? Should the foot go around saying, I want to be something else? Is that dishonoring to God? You see, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says this, and we'll, we'll come to this in a few weeks. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Paul says desire something. You don't desire something you already have, do you? He says desire it, earnestly desire it. So here's the question. Is it okay to ask for gifts that we don't have? Well, evidently it is because he's, he's telling us to do it. You see, in this life, I think it's possible to long for spiritual gifts that we don't have without saying the ones we do have are useless. In other words, there's a way in the spiritual life. In fact, to be quite honest with you, this is what the Christian life is all about. It's being content with where you are in Christ, but always wanting more. Yes or no? The, the Bible says to be content with what you have. Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Be content with what you have. But yet the Bible is always telling us to grow in Christ, grow in knowledge, want more. You see, there's, it, it, there's a place, I call it uh, dissatisfied contentment. That's what a Christian should have, dissatisfied contentment. Always being content as a Christian with where God has you and, and what God has given you today, but yet always know there's someplace else to go in Him. Always looking for more. Always looking for more of Him, more ways to serve Him, better ways to know Him and to grow in Him. Okay? In fact, like I said, I think that's one of the keys to living the Christian life. Learning to mingle your contentment in the sovereignty of God with holy yearnings for more of Him. That's, that's what Christianity is all about. And I think we can do the same thing when it comes to spiritual gifts. All right, real quickly, the other end of the spectrum. We mentioned there's two problems that plague the body. One is feelings of uselessness. The other is the other end of the spectrum, which is the polar opposite, and that is people in the body who feel self-sufficient and superior. Okay? Um, again, as we mentioned earlier, these people's problem is not that they feel useless. In fact, it's the other end uh, of the spectrum. They feel superior and self-sufficient. Once again, here's Paul's diagnosis in verse 21. The eye, now watch how he turns it around. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
nor again the head to the feet. I don't need you. Everybody see the difference here? He was Earlier he was saying the hand said, says, man, I wish I was a, a, a... The foot says, I wish I was a hand. The ear says, I wish I was an eye. Now he turns it around and says on the other way, the eye cannot say to the hand, man, I don't need you. Or, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now why can't they say that? Well, it goes back to the three things, the three uh, uh, prescriptions or the three remedies that he gave us earlier. Number one is truth. Just because you say that doesn't make you true. Every member of the body is needed just as much as you are. No matter what your gifts, no matter what your manifestation of the Spirit, every member of the body is needed just as much as you are because that's the definition of a body. Again, remember the necessity of diversity. The very existence of the body of Christ depends on its diversity. You can't just say, just cut that part off, I, I don't need it. It's, it. We need one another. God has put us here uh, to play a unique role, at not only at River of Life, but in the body of Christ. And of course, this goes back to the third reason, which is God's wise design. If we say we don't need others who have different gifts than we do, then effect, you're saying God doesn't know what He's doing. Everybody see that? If God has orchestrated, he's, he's, he, if He's made me a foot and He's made somebody else an ear, I can't say we don't need the ear because God made that person who they are. And if you say I don't need that person, you are in effect saying I do not need them and you're in effect saying God doesn't know what He's doing. Once again, it comes back, do you trust Him? Do, do, do you trust God to know exactly what He's doing? Let's go back and read verse 22. Paul goes on, and watch what he says, on the contrary. Now, remember what he just said. Uh, let's go back here if I can figure it out here. He says, the eye, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. Paul goes on and says this, on the contrary. In fact, he says, it's actually the opposite of what you think. He says, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, I want you to notice his careful use of language here. Does everybody see the word seem? He says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. He doesn't say they are weaker. He says, but to us, it seems to be. here. See, Paul, one thing I like about Paul is he understands human nature more than anybody. Have you ever noticed when you've got a gift sometimes, you can make that gift out to be the biggest thing in the world, and everybody else seems to be weaker? Does that make sense? You know, I, I can be a, I, you can be an encourager. Let's just say you're an encourager. You've got a group of people around you and you encourage, encourage, encourage. You can, you can look up on a stage that somebody's teaching and say, well, that guy's just teaching. He don't do anything like I do. He's not, he's not at home during the week doing all this. Everybody with me? It's so easy as a person for other people's gifts to be, to seem weaker. That's why Paul uses that. It doesn't say they are. He says, but it's, it's so easy to fall into that, okay? See, anybody can see another's gifts as weaker. It doesn't mean they are. In fact, Paul says, even if they seem to you to be weaker, they are nevertheless necessary. In fact, let's go back and read that. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. That word means you cannot do without them. That you cannot do without them. Um, Look at verses 23 to 24. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
The way Paul uses these terms, it's probably, uh, most scholars believe, it's a veiled reference to a person's sexual organs. That's what he's talking about there, our unpresentable parts. We treat them with greater honor in that we clothe them, we hide them, we, we for modesty's sake, right? Paul is pointing, what he's doing here is he's simply pointing out that it, when it comes to the human body, it would be easy to look at something that's covered up and say, well, that's not, that's not you know, they're ashamed of that, or that's not any good, or it, it deserves less honor. Right? Because just because somebody hides it. He says you can't judge that way when it comes to the human body. You can't judge it and say, well, that's a, that's a lesser part of the body just because they cover it up. The fact is some, bo- some body parts that might appear to be weak and unpresentable, we treat with extraordinary care. You see, God's aim in all of this is simply that there be no division in the church based on who has what gifts. That's what it all comes down in a nutshell. He does, he understands we're gonna, everybody's gonna have different gifts. Everybody's gonna have unique talents and abilities. He knows that. What he doesn't want people to be divided and saying, I'm better than her. Or I'm not as good as he is. He doesn't want people to be divided based on who has what gifts. The body is a unity. It is one. And each part should love and respect and care for every other part. Let's look at verses 24 to 27. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no... Now, now listen to this verse. In fact, I was sitting back there earlier talking to Chuck and, uh, and Aunt Diane about this. That there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See what Paul is saying? He doesn't want division vision, vision in, in, in the body. I don't want any division. But here's the key. What is the opposite of division? From that verse, what's the opposite in that sentence that's highlighted in yellow? There be no division, but what's the opposite? You care for one another. See, Paul's definition of, of, of unity here doesn't mean we're all on the same theological wavelength. We don't all have to believe exactly the same. Everybody see that? He's saying, let there be no division. The opposite of division is that you love one another, that you care for one another, that you, that you honor one another, that you suffer with one another. It doesn't mean you all got to believe exactly the same. That's, that's never going to happen. That's not what Paul is talking about. So again, notice what the opposite of division is. It's not unified theology, unified ideas, or unified opinions. The opposite of division is that the members should have the same care for one another. That's his definition of unity in this verse. Okay? Care for that person. Show concern for that person. Love that person. I mean, if we're told to love our enemies, folks, how much more? How much more should we love our brothers and sisters in the family? I mean, how much more should we care for one another and suffer with one another and honor with one another? He don't want there to be any division based on gifts. That's, that's what this whole thing is about. Finally, Paul concludes his argument in the last few verses by making a very forceful point that no one spiritual gift is intended for everybody. In other words, God does not want everybody to be the same. Look at verses 28 through 31, and we'll close with this. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kind of tongues. And then watch what Paul says. 
are all apostles. I mean, this is the answer to what he's saying. Of course they're not all apostles. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. That's the point. Not God doesn't want everybody to be the same. He, he has expressly set it up for everybody to be different and everybody to have different gifts. And those gifts blend together to make a healthy, comprehensive, unified body of Christ. Don't be divided because somebody has something that you don't have. Don't feel useless because you don't have a gift that puts you on a platform and puts a mic in your hand. Be content with where you are. Find out what God has given you. Find out how you can uniquely manifest the Spirit of God and then use it for the good of others. Paul goes on in verse 31, which will lead us into next week. But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and yet, he says, I show you a more excellent way. Once again, his point is that God doesn't want everyone to be an apostle. He doesn't want everybody to be prophets. He doesn't want everyone to be teachers. Now, he doesn't want everyone to speak in tongues. I was listening the other day to John Piper, and um, I, was, I was doing some studying on tongues, and I was listening to a, a, a video of him. And somebody asked him, has he ever spoken tongues? And, and by the way, John Piper's church, it's, a, it's Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minnesota, but a, they, they practice the spiritual gifts. He believes in the spiritual gifts. And they asked John Piper, they said, well, have you ever spoken in tongues? He said, no. He said, no, I haven't. And, they, and he went on to say, he said, in fact, the other day, he said, I was praying. And he said, I realized I hadn't asked for that gift in a long time. He said, so I began to pray and, so, and said, Father, would you give me that gift? And he says, the answer I get is the same answer I always get, no. In fact, he told him, he says, John, I've given you other gifts. You are to shepherd those who speak in tongues. These are your gifts. You shepherd those. That's not your gift. And I just thought that was so awesome that he would say that and admit that, right? Because that, for a lot of people, they would think, well, he's not very spiritual then. See, that's, he's, he's way more spiritual than some of them are. Because he knows his gift. He knows what he's been given. And Paul said, do all speak with tongues? The answer to that is no, not all are. God doesn't want that. Okay? So God in his sovereignty has appointed some one thing and appointed others to be another thing. Whatever appointment or assignment you have received from God, you need to know and understand that you are a vital part, a vital member of the body of Christ. So let's leave here today. Let's not go out of here wishing that we were something else. Let's not say, I don't have any, I don't have use of other people's gifts. Let's care for one another. And finally, let us put our trust in God who composes the body as He wills. Let's pray. Father,